Today on Categorical Imperative, we will be answering the question, does money equal speech, by doing a deep dive into the relevant case law. Hey, greetings, wonderful persons. Welcome back to Categorical Imperatives. As always, I am your host, Lockheed and Liberal. I want to thank you all so much for joining me here today. And a special welcome to anyone who may be new to the show. This is a podcast where we use legal theory and moral philosophy to discuss current events in law, politics, and culture. Now, you can find this show over on YouTube as well as the backup I do over at odyssey.com. I also do an audio-only version of the podcast that you can find at places like Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and several others. You can also find a wealth of articles I put out on many different issues of law and libertarian moral philosophy. These are available at many different sites, including the Libertarian Institute, the Tenth Amendment Center, the Mises Institute, and over on Substack. You can find links to all of those sites down in the video description. You will also find something new down there. I just put up a, a little website, and it's uh, it, it's still under construction a little bit, uh, but what is there works, and, and it works fabulously, might I add. Uh, and so right now, what you can do is go there. If you go to the links page, it'll have a link to where you can find all of the different sites where... Uh, you can find my work. Uh, it also has links to places uh, like Patreon uh, if you want to become a supporter of the show. So I will have a link to that website down in the description as well. Uh, and go check that out. It's uh, it's not bad. All right. Well, recent events have brought to the fore one of the most controversial, most polarizing and most universally misunderstood issues of modern times. And this is the place in law where money, speech, and politics all intersect. Now, this week marks the 12-year anniversary of the Supreme Court's opinion in the case of Citizens United versus FEC. Now, I wanted to let you guys know, if you would like to know more about Citizens United, I recently had a great article featured over at the Libertarian Institute called... Citizens United, and 12 Years of Unjustified Resentment. The article is about, well, exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, Citizens United and Unjustified Resentment. Anyways, you can find a link to that article down below in the video description, uh, and I, there I go into a lot of aspects of the Citizens United case that I'm not able to get to in this video today. So that is definitely worth going and checking out. Now, given all of this, this seems like a really great opportunity to do a really deep dive into this topic. It's one I've meant to cover on the show for quite a while, and I'm very glad to be able to do it. So today, we shall answer the question, does money equal speech? And to figure this out, 
we have to look at three different landmark Supreme Court cases. That is 1976 Buckley v. Vallejo, McConnell v. FEC from 2003, and Citizens United v. FEC from 2010. Now, protecting political speech has always been viewed as a central purpose of the First Amendment. This topic focuses on laws and three cases that could be characterized as regulating political speech. Now, alternately, each of these statutes could also be characterized as imposing restrictions on spending money rather than on the speech itself. So, let's figure out which is which, and let's start with Buckley v. Vallejo. Now, the lead plaintiff was then-Senator James L. Buckley, who had been elected to the U.S. Senate as the nominee of the Conservative Party of New York. This case considered the constitutionality of the Federal Election Campaign Act of 1971, also known as FICA. So, let's start by taking a look at the background of Buckley v. Vallejo. The Federal Election Campaign Act governs financial aspects of campaigns for federal offices. Now, the law regulated two aspects of campaign financing. First, the law limited contributions to a candidate's campaign. And second, the law restricted expenditures, that is the money spent by individuals and groups, on behalf of a candidate. Now, the court separately considered the constitutionality of each of these regulations. And in what was a long, complicated, and rather fractured opinion, the court upheld most of FICA's restrictions on campaign finance. So first, let's consider the portion of FICA that the court found to be constitutional. Contribution provisions are constitutional as appropriate legislative measures to deal with the reality and appearance of improper influence stemming from the dependence of candidates on large campaign contribution. Why? Limits do not directly impinge upon the rights of individual citizens and candidates to engage in political debate and discussion. That is right. And so, as a result, Congress could restrict how much money could be contributed directly to a candidate. Second, let's consider the portions of FICA that the court found to be unconstitutional. These provisions concern limitations on money spent independently of a federal political campaign. Now, the law also imposed restrictions on money given to political parties for use in state elections. For example, the law restricted money given to political parties to support their get-out-the-vote efforts to help state candidates. And this, uh, such efforts, as it were, would also help federal candidates as well. Now, the court held both types of expenditure limitations are violative of the First Amendment guarantees, and they are thus unconstitutional. Specifically, the court found that those provisions placed substantial and direct restrictions 
on the ability of candidates, of citizens, and associations to engage in political expression that is protected by the First Amendment. Now, the court considered whether it was appropriate to use the so-called O'Brien test. This comes from another landmark First Amendment case. This was United States v. O'Brien from 1968. And the Supreme Court upheld a federal law prohibiting the knowing mutilation of draft cards, rejecting the First Amendment arguments of an anti-war protester. Now, of more lasting importance to First Amendment jurisprudence, the court created the O'Brien test for determining whether expressive conduct or symbolic speech merits First Amendment protection. For the majority, Chief Justice Earl Warren established the test for determining whether laws that impact expressive conduct pass constitutional scrutiny. Warren wrote, quote, We think it clear that a government regulation is sufficiently justified if it is within the constitutional power of the government, if it furthers an important or substantial government interest, if the government interest is unrelated to the suppression of free expression, and if the incidental restriction on alleged First Amendment freedoms is no greater than is essential to the furtherance of that interest. Now here, the court found that this case was not governed by the O'Brien test, as Chief Justice Berger wrote. The expenditure of money cannot be equated with such conduct as destruction of a draft card. And during a campaign, it necessarily reduces the quantity of expression by restricting the number of issues discussed, the depth of their exploration, and the size of the audience reached. And for this reason, he concluded, While the independent expenditure ceiling thus fails to serve any substantial governmental interest in stemming the reality or appearance of corruption in the electoral process, it heavily burdens core First Amendment expression. Now, in Buckley, the court did not foreclose the possibility that other interest-supporting campaign finance restrictions may be identified, but the only interest the court found valid was the government's interest in preventing corruption and the appearance of corruption. The provisions of FICA that the court left standing in Buckley together with the invalidated portions caused several unintended consequences. First, because of the limits on contributions upheld and bequeathed, candidates could no longer count on a small number of high-dollar contributions. As a result, candidates had to spend much more time raising low-dollar contributions from many people. And these contributions came to be called hard money. Now, second, the court invalidated limits on contributions to political parties for their support of state elections and on independent expenditures, such as advertising, uh, and high-dollar campaign donors tended to ship their support to these types of expenditures. The large amounts of money spent in these ways came to be called soft money. All right, moving on to 2003's McConnell vs. FEC. Soon 
after Buckley, a political movement began to limit so-called soft money in politics. And in 2002, these efforts culminated in the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act of 2002, also known as BICRA. And it is also commonly referred to as McCain-Feingold after its sponsors, Republican Senator John McCain and Democratic Senator Russ Feingold. Now, Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, who then served as the minority whip, became the named party. He challenged the constitutionality of BICRA. He said, quote, Regretfully, this bill is going to pass and in all likelihood be signed by the president. Now, a fractured court upheld almost all of BICRA. In brief, the court has concluded that with two relatively minor exceptions, the entire statute is constitutional. The first is because restrictions on stop money contributions to political parties. The second is because of restrictions on independent spending for political advertising. And Chief Justice Rehnquist summarized because restrictions on contributions to political parties. Quote, Title I of the Act restricts the use of soft money, that is, money raised outside the source and amount limitations established by the federal campaign to fund activities that influence federal elections. And the majority found that uh, Title I was indeed constitutional because it was an appropriate response to Congress's legitimate concerns with preventing the actual and apparent corruption threatened by large soft money contributions and preserving the integrity of the federal election process. So in their joint opinion for the majority, Justices Stephen and O'Connor reasoned that, like the contribution limits we upheld in Buckley, these restrictions have only a marginal impact on the ability of con uh, contributors, candidate office holders, and parties to engage in effective political speech. The court observed that regulations would primarily, quote, regulate the ability of wealthy individuals, corporations, and unions to contribute large sums of money to influence federal elections. Now, as in Buckley, the court concluded the Congress could regulate the expenditures to prevent corruption or the appearance of corruption, and both interests were deemed compelling. And both common sense, to quote from the case itself, quote, both common sense and the ample record of these cases confirmed Congress's belief that large soft money contributions to national party committees have a corrupting influence or give rise to the appearance of corruption. Now, specifically, uh, Justices Stephen and O'Connor explained that, quote, candidates who benefited indirectly from expenditures to political parties would feel grateful for such donations and the donors would seek to exploit that gratitude. 
In addition, they contended that corruption was not limited to preventing simple cash for vote corruptions. Rather, it also extended to curbing undue influence on an office holder's judgment and the appearance of such influence. The leaders of the national parties, they said often, will peddle access to candidates and office holders in exchange for large, soft money donations. They therefore concluded that there is no substantial evidence to support Congress's determination that large, soft money contributions to national political parties give rise to corruption and the appearance of corruption. Now, second, the court considered the constitutionality of Title II. These provisions restricted independent expenditures made to create issue ads that referred to candidates for office. The statute called these ads electioneering communications. Now, Title II defined an electioneering communication as any broadcast cable or satellite communication that refers to a clearly identified candidate for federal office that is made within 60 days of a general, special, or runoff election for the office sought by the candidate or 30 days before a primary and is targeted to the relevant electorate. Now, Mitch McConnell went on to say, The the bill seeks to impose a gag order on groups that have the audacity to mention people like us within 60 days of an election. Now, the act restricted the funding of electioneering communications by corporations and labor unions. The majority held that these restrictions in Title II were a constitutional means to the end of reducing corruption, broadly defined, and also the appearance of corruption. Now, the court would revisit and reverse this whole mess about Title II in Citizens United. So now we turn to Citizens United versus FEC. Now, by this point, Justice O'Connor was no longer on the court, and she had been replaced by Justice Alito. And this change in composition brought a dramatic reversal in the court's stance towards regulation of electioneering communications. Now, Justice Kennedy wrote the majority opinion. He said that Citizens United, a nonprofit corporation, created a film entitled Hillary the Movie. The film was a commentary on the career and background of then-Senator Hillary Clinton, who was a candidate in the presidential primaries. The point is, what are we going to do with all these illegal immigrants? Unless I missed something, Senator Clinton said two different things in the course of about two minutes. She's deceitful. She'll make up any story, lie about anything, as long as it serves her purpose of the moment. The company wanted to broadcast the film in 2008, which was an election year. However, doing so would have been illegal under BICRA. Why? Well, Section 441B prohibits corporations from making certain independent expenditures to support candidates for federal office. Because Hillary the movie opposed Clinton's candidacy and supported her opponent, it fell within Title II's definition of an electioneering communication. 
Therefore, Citizens United could not broadcast the film in an election year. Now, to avoid criminal liability, the corporation sought a judicial determination that would allow it to have broadcast the film. Citizens United lost in the lower court, and the district of uh, the district court for the District of Columbia concluded that the prohibition on electioneering communication was constitutional under the rule in McConnell v. FEC. Now, in Citizens United, the court reversed its ruling in McConnell. By a 5-2-4 majority, they held that the ban on electioneering communications was indeed unconstitutional as a threshold matter, even though Citizens United was a corporation, it was nevertheless protected by the First Amendment. Now, the court has long recognized that First Amendment protections extend to corporations. Justice Kennedy, in the majority opinion, would go on to say that if the First Amendment has any force, it prohibits Congress from fining or jailing associations of citizens simply for engaging in political speech. He added that political speech is indispensable to decision-making in a democracy, and this is not less true because the speech comes from a corporation rather than an individual. So during oral argument, some of the justices worried that a ban on corporate-funded movies could also justify a ban on corporate published books. For example, Justice Alito asked the government's position, if it was true that the government's position is that the First Amendment allows the banning of a book if it's published by a corporation. Now, Malcolm Stewart, the Deputy Solicitor General, candidly replied, the electioneering communication restriction could have been applied to additional media as well. Now, Justice Alito was taken aback by that answer for a very good reason. He went on to say, quote, that is pretty incredible. You think that if a book was published, a campaign biography that was the functional equivalent of express advocacy, that could be banned? Well, the answer was yes. Now, the government changed its position about six months later when the case was uh, reordered. And this time, Justice Kagan asked then Solicitor General, who was there representing the government, Elena Kagan, if Congress could say no TV, no radio ads, could it also say no newspaper ads? Could it say no campaign biographies? Last time, the answer was yes, Congress could, but it didn't. Is that still the government's position? Now, with what was quite a bit of audible laughter in the courtroom, Kagan answered, The government's position has changed, Justice Ginsburg. She added that for 60 years, a book has never been an issue. However, the court was not satisfied with this answer. Justice Scalia said, If you wrote it too broadly, we're not going to pare it back to where it's constitutional. 
If it's overbroad, it's invalid. Chief Justice Roberts went on to say that we do not put our First Amendment rights in the hands of FEC bureaucrats. Now, Justice Alito was still perplexed by the government standard. He said, Now, in light of your retraction, I have no idea where the government would draw the line with respect to the medium that could be prohibited. In the end, a majority of the court would not accept the government's assurance by a 5-2-4 vote. The court reversed McConnell to invalidate a ban on electioneering communication funded by corporations and unions. However, as it had in Buckley, the court once again upheld disclosure requirements. These provisions require that the identity of those paying for the advertisement be disclosed. Justice Kennedy observed that the disclaimer and disclosure provision provide information to the electorate. The resulting transparency enables the electorate to make informed decisions and gives proper weight to different speakers in different messages. He went on to add that the disclosure requirements may be unconstitutional if an association offers evidence that its members will face threat or reprisal. But Citizens United has offered no evidence here of either threat or reprisal. Now, this holding, if you do think about it for a second, does present uh, something of a uh, a chicken and egg problem, if you will. After all, a corporation cannot be threatened unless disclosing its expenditures. However, once its expenditures are disclosed, it will already have been threatened. And Justices Stevens, Ginsburg, Bryan, and Sotomayor dissented. Justice Stevens advocated for the doctrine of stare decisis. He objected to the court's decision to reverse McConnell versus FEC, as well as another earlier case, Austin versus Michigan Chamber of Commerce from 1990. That case upheld restrictions on expenditures of corporations and unions. Justice Stevens offered an originalist argument. He said, at the founding, Americans took it as a given that corporations could be comprehensively regulated in the service of the public welfare. He added that they held a cautious view of corporate power and they conceptualized speech in individualist terms. He observed those who ratified the First Amendment did not think that they were laying down a principle that could be used to insulate corporations from even modest restriction on electioneering expenditures. Just Justice Scalia responded to Justice Stevens in a concurring opinion that the dissenter's historical discussion, uh, as he said, was, quote, in splendid isolation of the text of the First Amendment. The amendment is written in terms of speech, not speakers. Justice Scalia explained that the text of the First Amendment, quote, offers no foothold for excluding any category of speaker from from single individuals 
to incorporated associations of individuals. He added, the dissent offers no evidence about the original meaning of the text to support any such exclusion. Justice Scalia then concluded that, quote, we are therefore simply left with the question whether the speech at issue in this case is covered by the First Amendment, and no one says otherwise. A documentary film, critical of a potential presidential candidate, his core political speech, and its nature as such, do not change simply because it was funded by a corporation. Now, Justice Stevens vehemently disagreed. He said, simply put, corporations are not human beings. And, as the court has long recognized, according to Stevens, the distinctive legal attributes of corporations created distinctive threats to the electoral process. He said the rule announced today that Congress must treat corporate speakers exactly like human beings in the political realm represents a radical and strange change in the law. Now, you can tell that uh, it, when you listen to the case, and I'll include uh, the audio to the oral arguments and to the uh, opinions if you want to listen to those. It's actually very interesting, but... Uh, as he delivers that line, you can tell that Justice Stevens is having a great deal of difficulty just delivering his dissent. And he said not long after that in an interview that that was the day that he decided to resign. And several months later, President Obama nominated Solicitor General Elena Kagan to replace Justice Stevens. Well, that is going to do it for me here today on Categorical Imperatives. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, uh, if you're not subscribed to the channel, uh, take a moment and hit that subscribe button to make sure you always know uh, when my latest stuff comes out. If you like the video, uh, hit that little thumbsy uppy button down there. If you dislike the video, hit that little thumbsy downy button down there. Uh, if you have any thoughts on the video or this topic at all, I would love to hear them uh, in the comment section. So please let me know what you think about uh, Citizens United, uh, about uh, you know uh, this particular episode, about these cases, anything like that. I would love to hear your thoughts on the matter. And then don't forget, uh, down in the description, you will find links to uh, all kinds of places, including uh, that new website that I have up where you can go and you can find all the places to find my work online as well as to support the show if you are able to. And so, really, I, I guess uh, all that's left to do now is to sign out. I have been Lockheed Liberal for Categorical Imperatives, talking about the question of does money equal speech? And of course, as always, De Lenda S. Carthago. <laughs>